0: As we look at the story of David and we continue to walk in that journey, I want you to do me a favor this morning. I want you to imagine being in the room we talked about last week. Last week we talked about this space where a sacrifice was about to take place. If you remember, Samuel had been sent to Bethlehem, been sent to find one of Jesse's sons to anoint this son as king. And he was going to do so in the midst of this sacrifice that they were doing together. So he invited Jesse and his sons to come and be a part of it. But if you remember from last week, we talked about David, the youngest, wasn't invited. So Samuel's in the room, and again, imagine what it's like to be there, gathered with them. They're preparing for this sacrifice, and Samuel, the high priest, is looking for the king. But as they're there and they're gathered, Samuel can't find the king, because the next king wasn't in the room. He wasn't there among Jesse's sons. We talked last week about some of the confusion that might have taken place and what that looked like. Eventually, they realized the oversight of David, the youngest son of Jesse. They realized that he hadn't been invited, they realized that he'd been forgotten. So Samuel sent for him and they went and got David. And we're told that as David came back and he entered the room in verse 12 of chapter 16, it says, And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel Returned to Ramah. So you're in the room and you're watching it take place. I don't know who you picked to be or if you were just a fly on the wall watching all of this happen, but now imagine that you're David in that room. Imagine that you are this young shepherd boy who's just walked in, missed all the rest of it, not even sure what's going on, but you know that this just took place. What is it that goes through your mind? How do you feel in response to all that Samuel was doing and saying? And then what is it that you do next? What, what, What do you do in response to this happening? So as I do this, as I imagine, as I play the imaginary game that I'm inviting you to play, I could come up with two options. Two options with regards to what I think I would have done had I been David. Option one, storm the gates. Take the throne. I have been told this is now mine. I'm taking it. I'm looking at Saul and saying, hey, dude, the throne is now mine. Samuel said so. I'm in, you're out, pack your bags, get lost. This is my space now. I can imagine this idea of this young boy being full of exhilaration and adrenaline. He just had this this incredible thing happen to him. What does it look like for the spirit to to burst over someone? I don't even know, but I can't imagine how full of life. He feels in that moment And to respond by looking at this moment And saying the prophet spoke The spirit moved It's now time to go I am going to take the throne That's what I've been told that I was supposed to do David didn't take the throne So the second option I can come up with Is to go back to the sheep is to move back into life that was known and easy. surely this entire thing seemed crazy, right? Crazy to David and his brothers and his father and anyone else who was gathered in this room, in this room. The whole thing seemed strange. It seemed out of place. It didn't make sense. David was the shepherd boy. He was the youngest. He was the forgotten one. There's no way it made sense that this guy was about to be king. He had no esteem, no respect, no authority, no value other than making sure that the sheep didn't run away. The chore that he had been stuck with is the one that no one else wanted. It was the least respected job given to the least respected son, the least respected person in the entire family. And as far as they were concerned, that was all that he was worth. The prophet had just declared him the next king. Was he off his rocker? I mean, what's going on? This doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. This is backwards from the way everything was supposed to work. In in so many of these stories throughout the scriptures, as you read through the Old Testament, God likes to do this really weird thing of picking the one that doesn't make sense or the one that doesn't fit. We talked about that last week. But we see it over and over and over again. And it's often hard to imagine. What does it feel like to be the other brothers? Like the ones who logically should have been picked. Can you imagine them now in this moment? Looking at little brother and saying, All right, bub, the charade is over. Back to the sheep. Done with you being around. Done with you being back to the sheep. Go back to your work. You have a responsibility. We don't care what the priest had to say. He clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. Get back to the sheep. And it would have been so simple. For David just to slip back into his routine, to go back to the sheep, to be forgotten once again, to be overlooked once again. It would have been so easy for him to drift back into what was comfortable, what was expected. Sure, it was unappreciated, but at least it was known At least he knew what was happening and what he was doing. He knew how to keep the sheep. He knew how to do that well. He could have so very easily drifted right back into what he'd known. But David didn't go back to the sheep either. He didn't storm the gates and take the throne. He didn't run back to the sheep. Second half of... 1 Samuel chapter 16 is the continuing story of the transition that's taking place between Saul and David for the throne. And we're told in this half of it that there was something going on with Saul, that Saul had been plagued or overwhelmed or filled with this tormenting or some translations say evil spirit. And this evil spirit that had come had replaced the spirit of the Lord that we know had now left him. The spirit of the Lord that had left him and moved on to David when it had been decided that Saul was unwilling to be obedient. So God stepped away. Samuel left him. The spirit of the Lord left him, moved on to David. And this, this tormenting of this evil spirit that replaced it, we're told would leave him depressed, leave Saul depressed, often afraid. As we continue into Saul's story, we'll find out that this spirit sometimes would send him into these angry and violent outbursts. He would do these, these terrible, audacious things that aren't expected of a king or of anyone for that matter as he was plagued with what was going on in his life. Now they believed that music was in some way healing for ailments during that time, especially if those ailments were of a, of a mental or emotional nature. So this kind of tormenting spirit, this kind of pain, this kind of thing that would cause him to be angry and depressed, to have these violent outbursts, to, to be afraid, music would soothe him and they believed would, it would at least aid, if not heal, what was going on with him. So the servants decided that Saul needed a musician. He needed someone to come and play. And one of the servants knew just the guy, knew exactly who needed to come and play for Saul. It was Jesse's youngest son, Jesse from Bethlehem. David. David who apparently could play a harp and All of these other accolades were sung Over David I don't even know how the guy had the ability To know some of the things that he was saying about David I don't know if he was trumping Up his resume so he'd look even better as He was getting ready to come in and work for the king I'm not sure what was happening I just Know that all these praises were sung of David So Saul sent For David now are you Catching the irony surely Everybody's with me right I don't have to explain too much How this is going on and shouldn't be do you remember that last week we talked about there was a rule in the time of kings? The rule was you don't get a new king while the old king is still on the throne. You don't anoint the new guy while the old guy is still there. It's called treason. It's a great way for David and Samuel and all of their families to be killed because of what they did. To be killed as traitors. And now Saul was inviting David Into the palace. David, the new king, had been invited in. He'd been asked to come and help take care of the current king. He'd been asked to come and serve the man most likely in the entire kingdom, the entire world for that matter, to kill him. He was supposed to come and serve Saul. So if I imagine being in the room, I got storm the gate, I got go back to the sheep. Scripture tells us David went to play the harp for Saul. An option beyond my imagination, beyond what I would assume, beyond what I would come up with, beyond what I would think, and I suspect beyond what David anticipated was coming next. And when we began this journey last week. We talked about a very important thing that you and I have to grasp in what's going on is that even if no one else loved David, God did. It was a reminder to us of the same reality that we too are deeply loved by the Savior. Friends, if you don't hear anything else now or any time before Christmas as we continue to talk about David, hear this. You are deeply loved by Jesus. And that alone is enough. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are loved by God. And because of his love, God's deep desire for you and I is that we would join in the work of re-creation. That we would join in re-creating the world. That God's love would be transforming to us. That it would transform our souls. And that then with transformed souls, we would move to the place to deeper and deeper obedience. That we would become partners with God in the work that God is doing. The work that God is doing of bringing about God's dreams for God's people and God's creation. God has invited us to be partners in that because he loves us. And that love is transforming and brings us to that place. You and I are called to this work. David was called into this work of being a partner with God because God loved David. And because God deeply loves us and everything that has been created. Friends, David was going to be king for God's people. But according to what I see in this passage, it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet for David to be king. It was time for David to be patient. It was time for him to wait. But oddly, not to wait with the sheep. Interestingly, not to wait where it was easy or safe or known Instead, as David had been called to wait, God was bringing him to a place that he was going to wait in the most dangerous of places possible. David was being asked to wait right under the nose of the sitting king. And not only to wait there, but to serve King Saul. To serve him faithfully, to play the heart for him, to be faithful to this king, the man that he would one day replace, but not yet. To be friend and ally to the king, to sit and wait in this place, but not to wait on the sidelines. That there was something happening, but that it wasn't time yet. I think that sometimes we make a mistake as we talk about waiting, of believing that waiting means doing nothing. And there are times in the scripture that we see that that's true. There are times that we see that waiting means doing nothing, that it does mean actually sitting and doing nothing and waiting for God to move in some miraculous way. But more often than not, what I feel like we see in the scriptures is that waiting is an active practice. Waiting is about you and I walking forward, not all the way to the goal, not all the way to what we've been called yet, but walking forward in what it is that we can do right now. Waiting is a person doing what they can do now, here and now, in this space, until the time, until the opportunity for more comes, until what we have been called to that is bigger and bolder than this can take place. Waiting is walking as far as we can into the call that God has placed on our life until more becomes available to us. David was to be king, but right now, right here in First Samuel chapter sixteen, he was to play the harp. He was to do what he was able to do, what he was gifted to do, what he was capable of doing, and he was to wait. He had been called to great things, but right now he waited. Right now he used his gift in faithfulness to serve God exactly as he had been called to do, knowing that God had called him to great things and knows what happened. But right now, his call was to serve the king. Here, it was to be faithful where he was, and it was to wait for the time to move forward. So come out of imagining what it's like in that story and step back into your own life, into your own world. Friends, what is it that God may be calling you towards? What great thing, what incredible role of partnering with him and bringing about the recreation of the world might God be calling you to? Now this calling, it's not always specific. It, it can be, and there are times that it is, but sometimes it's a call towards a general obedience, a general walking forward and continuing to do the things of God. But what thing is it that perhaps you have been called into that right now seems unattainable? That you sense is here, is on the edge, is, is out there where you have been called to go, but right now you can't reach quite that far. Right now you can't quite get there. So what is it that you can do in the meantime? How is it that here and now where you are, you can be faithful with small things until you are able to receive and do the big things that God has for you? How today can you be faithful with the heart until it's time to take the crown? How now here where you are, can you earn honor and courage? Can you grow in faith and respect and maturity waiting for what is ahead? Maybe you have hopes for what your future might look like, but today you're still in school and you can't quite get there. Maybe you have a dream for where you feel like God is calling you to go and live, but today it doesn't seem possible because there's absolutely no way with finances or whatever it is that you can pull it off. Now, yes, sometimes we take these incredible, bold leaps into faith. Other times we do what we can preparing for what is coming. Some of you have talked about a desire to be in Africa Maybe not permanently, but at least on one of our trips that we go. But perhaps the time isn't yet. What can you do in the meantime? How can you prepare for that reality? How can you prepare for what it looks like for you to get there? What can you do here and now in preparation? I had a few of you tell me the other day that apparently Callie put some video online that scared you. The, I, John thought we were moving to Africa. We're not. If we were, we wouldn't announce it on Facebook. And hopefully Callie wouldn't announce it while I'm away in Chicago with no access to any technology and no idea what's going on. I just got a text message from a best friend. I saw Callie's announcement. I thought it was going to say y'all were moving to Africa. I don't even know what you're talking about. I haven't been online in three days. It won't happen that way. And we're not moving to Africa. But even before we got married, there was this stirring in our heart... This stirring towards diversity, this story towards the idea that we could offer opportunities to children who didn't have it, that we could one day adopt. And that ideally, if possible, that that could be something that happened from Africa. Uh, Ideally, Ethiopia, which is where I lived. They've closed their doors now, but we've done some questioning and some asking over the years. We talked about maybe adopting before we had our kids, but we didn't. We waited for that and one of the things that happened in africa is that that stirring to diversify our family and to become a family to children that don't have a family became stirred up again in cali but the struggles to get there the difficulties and what it means to bring other children into your home is overwhelming Financially, responsibilities, the tasks that are a part of it. There are so many pieces that are a part of this. So now we are trying to do what we can to prepare for this huge thing that we believe God has called us into that won't happen tomorrow or next week or next month, that probably can't happen in the next year, that may take years in order for us to even get there. What might it look like for you in your life? Maybe it's the idea that God is calling you towards a family. Maybe it's in expanding your family. Maybe it's in reaching the underprivileged. Maybe it's in impacting children. Maybe it's a heart to teach a school and you believe that God has called you there. But you know that for some reason you're not there yet. Whether it's you're still in school or you're not yet prepared. what? Huge thing is God calling you into because God deeply loves you and wants you to be a part of partnering with him and bringing about his dreams for God's people and for God's creation what is it how big is it and what can you do now because you can't yet take hold of the entire thing I'm convinced that each of us have something That each of us have this dream, this longing, this calling from God that feels just beyond reach. So what can we do today proclaiming that we will get there because we trust God in what God has called us to. Friends, God has incredible dreams for you and your life, for me and my life. And we're not always ready to walk into those dreams. Sometimes we have to wait. And I think that this passage reminds us, shows us, that what it means for us to be people after God's own heart is for us to be people who take the posture of active waiting. Of moving forward as far as we can, waiting on God to do the rest. David played the harp and waited What is your heart as you're waiting for the, the role that God has called you into? Pray with me, would you? Jesus, our Savior, we are thankful for what you were doing and the ways that you were working and stirring in our midst. God, for the ways in which you are using valley and for the ways in which you are using and impacting us as individuals. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to move and stir in mighty ways. God, if there are some of us sitting here without a clear understanding of what bold and beautiful things you're calling us into, then God, wake us up in the night. Give us dreams and visions of what it means to follow after you as boldly and as unexpectedly as possible. And as we look beyond and recognize that perhaps that dream is a bit too far to reach at the moment, give us faith to take the steps that we can. Give us courage to be faithful in the small things, waiting for the larger things to come. Give us faith to play the harp while we wait on our crown. And be glorified as we wait on you to move.